This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life. And as you know by now, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's going on in your heart and mind. I'll do the best I can. You need only to call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature in your phone with the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we're back on schedule here, so tonight we've got our men's and women's studies going on. Uh, Today, Dr. Peter is going to be filling in for Pastor Ken, who's on vacation. Uh, And that will be a blessing. That's at 7 o'clock. And then uh, tonight, the Sweet Summer Devotion Series continues. Melissa Finley is the lady who will be sharing her heart. And I'm excited about uh, what she has to say. So uh, all of that is tonight. If you can't make it to be here live with us, you can watch it at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. Let me get to questions while we wait your phone calls. Uh, The first one is an anonymous question. Actually, the first two I have are anonymous questions today. Uh, I am the only Christian in my house, and the rest of my family insults me because I am. How do I deal with this? Um, Anonymous, I think the only way you can deal with it is just to toughen up. Expect it. They hated Jesus. They insulted Jesus. They're going to hate you. They're going to insult you. They're going to take it personally. One of the things that I always try to remember is that Jesus said, on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you. And the word blessed in the New Testament in Greek is is Jesus saying happy. You want to be happy? Here's the way to be happy. Happy are you if people persecute you and insult you on my account. Now, he didn't say you'd feel happy or feel blessed. He just said that you would be. And I think the idea is that in your home, you're taking a stand for Jesus. It's one of the things that every brand new Christian deals with, unless, of course, they're saved into a Christian home. Uh, but, but people don't want to hear. But they're watching. I promise you they're watching. So instead of getting depressed or discouraged, instead of getting angry, instead of trying to validate or vindicate yourself, maybe you can tell them something like, you know, I understand why nobody would want to hear from me with the life I've lived about finding Jesus. But from my perspective, I can't imagine going to heaven without all of you being there. And then challenge him to watch your life. Say, I know I've said things before, I haven't followed through, but watch me on this one. Challenge him to watch your life. They'll be watching, and I promise you, The Holy Spirit will use your boldness and your witness, your testimony, to begin knocking on the door of their heart. Start looking at the people in your home, not as the enemy of your ministry, but the object of your ministry. And it should change your perspective. It should change everything. It's just one of the things that we have to get used to. Now, not to you. You're a new believer. Um... But one of the things I think 
that we Christians have to do is get just a little bit tougher. We need thicker skin. We need to understand that being persecuted or being insulted or going through difficult things, being unfairly judged, that's just part and parcel of being a Christian. So if, in fact, you know people are watching you, then let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and eventually they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Thank you for the question. I hope that helps. Here is the second anonymous question. I heard you say that Christians are sinners and we keep sinning. That's not true. And he's that with an exclamation point. We are saints and have been sanctified. Anonymous, you haven't read your Bible. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's in the continuous present tense in Greek. It's not a once and for all thing. Well, I used to sin, but now I don't. We all continually fall short of God's glory continually because we all keep sinning continually. That's the, the, the active present tense. So read your Bible. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 says, the thing I want to do, I can't do. The thing I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. If he can admit he's a sinner, why can't you? Your doctrine is really unhealthy. It's doomed to cause you all kinds of difficulties. We sin daily. Some of our sins are inward. Others are public, outward for people to see. To deny that we sin continually is to just be foolish, to, to to kid ourselves, pretending we're something that we're not. We are sinners. As long as the real us is contained in these flesh and blood bodies, we're going to keep on sinning. I hope our sins change. I hope they're not habitual sins. But the truth is we all fall short and we're going to continue to fall short. So thank you for that. Let's go. We've got a couple calls on the line. Let's go to Reuben from Seguin, our friend. How are you doing, Reuben? I am blessed, Pastor Ron. I am so blessed. My dad is doing, oh, my God. God is just doing a work, and I want to thank everyone who is praying for both me and my dad. Uh, he sounds a lot better. He's still weak, Good. but physical therapy is working with him very hard. Uh, two times a day, once on Saturday, and then he has Sunday off. And I am just feeling great getting into the Word every day, you know, just getting into the Word. And um, if I may say something to Anonymous, um, Anonymous, Pastor Ron is right. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I know there's a reason why I called, because I had a question about that very same thing and that very same scripture that Pastor Ron just mentioned anonymous go to romans chapter 7 read it all read it very carefully very very carefully i would suggest you read it in the niv i Mm -hmm. I, guess just me personally um it it, because it goes paul goes into it it, it, you know it it may sound confusing because he says for the he says for the things that i want to do i don't do just like what pastor ron said the things that I want to do, I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do. And he just goes on and on and on. But then he explains later on, for my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. But we do sin. I'm a sinner. I'm a Christian. I love God with all of my heart and with my soul, and I praise God with for the talent of music that He gave me. But I'm a sinner. I'm I'm not I'm not going to dare sit here and say I am perfect because no one, no one, my friend, is perfect. I don't know you, anonymous. Obviously, Pastor Ron doesn't know you, and I know that he means no disrespect for you, but. I've learned in my doctrinal, doctrinal, that's the proper word, doctrinal, uh, that's ways close. that I was taught was wrong. Yeah. 
Ruben, thank you. You know, a, a couple of things, and this is for um, Anonymous still. You know, if you read Romans 7 and 8, now in the original manuscripts, there's no chapter and verse divisions. We have a tendency to read the end of a chapter, and then we kind of close the thought and start a whole new thought. Well, Romans chapter 8 is the chapter about life in the Spirit. It's God's perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will chapter. It's all the promises, all of the power, all of the, the practical things that we need to really know. But see, you don't get to Romans 8 until you've been to Romans 7 and understand that you're a sinner and that you need help. Paul comes to the conclusion in verse 25 of chapter 7, O wretched man that I am. And he's not talking about somebody else. He's not talking about his life pre-Christ. He's talking about his life every day. And when you get to that place where you can say, O wretched man that I am, who can rescue me from this body of death? Then you get to the next verse, which says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. And when you do that, then you get to the place, Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God bless you, Reuben. Thanks for leading with your dad that he's doing better. We are praying for him, and I am grateful. Let's go to San Marcos, Texas, and now talk with Roland online, too. Oh, Roland dropped. I'm sorry, Roland, if you're sorry for keeping you waiting so long, uh, but the phone lines are empty now. We'd love to have your your call. 340-9585, here is a question from Brian. Uh, I think it will be soon when churches are sued for discrimination by homosexual groups. How are you preparing for that? Um, Brian, I don't uh, disagree with you. I, I think... Uh, a time is coming when they're going to try to force churches to hire people regardless of uh, of um, sexual orientation uh, or, or gender identity. Um, I, I believe that the world the, in this country, I think they're coming after the church. I was just sharing with my producer that I saw an article in the news uh, just this morning uh, about a push now to make churches taxable. Uh, the, the claim was that there's $100 billion a year that could be collected if churches would pay taxes. I think this whole um, uh, pandemic has been a, a sort of a, a, a source of encouragement for those who hate God, who hate the church, and they're coming after us. And I agree, it will be soon when it will be illegal to say the things that we say just teaching the Bible. Now, you ask how I'm preparing for it personally. Uh, I'm not going to do anything differently. I'm not preparing for it. I'm not trying to watch my words or or sort of be around the bush uh, as to avoid liability. Um, I am simply going to proclaim the word of God. And if that means I end up being sued or I end up in jail, um, well, so be it. I mean, certainly I don't want that to happen. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm not a brave guy. Uh, I certainly don't want that. We would like to, to live at peace with all people as far as it depends on us. But we cannot compromise the truth of the Word of God. You know, it was just a few years ago, Brian, when uh, you you might remember Phil Robertson, who was, uh, you know, the the patriarch of Ducks dynasty, uh, they are, are active Christians, members of the Church of Christ, and, and not the uh, aberrant Church of Christ, but, but real Christians. Uh, and he was uh, shown uh, reading Romans, just reading Romans chapter 1. Uh, he wasn't even commenting on it from a pulpit, reading it. And, uh, and he was forced to step away from the program for a time. And all he was doing was reading Romans chapter 1. And that's the way the world views people like me. So we're, we're going to face persecution, maybe prosecution. But I think at that time, we're going to find out who really belongs to the Lord. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And I think we're going to find out a lot of people are pretty ashamed at the end. I hope that's not the case. But the truth is that that uh, we've got to be committed, Peter said. You judge for yourself whether it's right to obey men or to obey God. As for us, we cannot stop preaching this name. And I pray that that will be the position most churches take. But Brian, I, I think you are correct. I don't think it's very long uh, before that happens. Here is a call from Dexter. 
He says, uh, why do we not see time given in church on Sundays for the gifts of the Spirit to function? Um, Dexter, the, the, the Sunday congregation, uh, for example, I'll just give you a, a normal Sunday. Now things are different because of the uh, pandemic and the quarantine rules and the social distancing things. But uh, we have three services on Sunday mornings. Our schedule is really, really packed tightly. And um, not only do we not have the time to do that, I mean, if we gave it time, uh, gave time for the gifts of the Spirit to function individually, um, we'd have people waiting outside, people's children would be in children's church, lines would be developing. The the Spirit is a spirit of order. And so the, the priority for church on Sundays in particular is teaching of the Word, equipping the saints for the work of ministries, according to Ephesians chapter 4, teaching the Word, uh, proclaiming the Gospel. Um, That's what Sunday's for. The Holy Spirit wouldn't interrupt Himself, and since He wrote the book that we're teaching, that's the priorities when we gather together. Now, there are churches, Dexter, and we're one of them, that have sometimes special meetings, uh, that are just for the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, I, I call it a time of mutual encouragement for the body where we can minister one to another. And and then we let the gifts of the Spirit flow, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, sometimes uh, words in an unknown tongue followed by an interpretation. But it's always very orderly, nothing crazy, nothing out of control. And I think so often, Dexter, we see... Uh, these over-the-top charismatic churches where everybody's speaking in tongues at once, and we've been conditioned to believe that that's a move of God's Spirit. That is not a move of God's Spirit because it violates the Word of God. So when we come to church, the emphasis is on teaching the Word. He, the Holy Spirit, wrote it. He pushed the pins of men. And our function is to make sure that we're doing with his word what he wants. And the idea that that the spirit would interrupt himself is absolutely contrary to the biblical understanding of how the gifts of the spirit work in the church. Now, one of the things I'd like you to look at, Dexter, and I think this is important. Before service, after service... If you look around, you'll see the gifts of the Spirit functioning all over the church. People crying, people praying, people encouraging, edifying one another. We see people going directly toward, they've asked God to, 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 to give them spiritual direction. Show me people that need to be prayed for, people that need to be loved, people that need to be encouraged. And God always honors those prayers. So what you see between our services is the Spirit working in the most beautiful way, in a way that's not going to draw attention to people. You know, we like to speak in tongues so everybody can see how spiritual we are. That's not the Spirit. That's, that's our flesh. But when you see, you'll look around our sanctuary and you'll see people praying all over the place. You'll see people coming up looking for me. Pastor, I want to introduce you to a brand new believer. She or he just gave their life to Jesus. That's the gifts of the Spirit. You'll see people praying for healing for people. God is always at work, and that's the way the Spirit works when we use our gifts to minister to others. The idea that speaking in tongues and people saying, Thus saith the Lord, is a move of the Spirit, simply isn't the case. So, Dexter, I hope that answers your question. God moves in the small voice, the still small voice. God's voice, Elijah found out, wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the wind, it wasn't in the thunder. God's voice was a small voice that was ministering. And it's still that way because God doesn't change. Thanks for the question. Rod asks, God is a God of love, so how could he forsake Jesus? Rod, the answer to that question is the very definition of God being a God of love. He forsook his son at his most dire time of need 
because he loved you and because he loved me more. Now, obviously, he didn't love us more than Jesus. You understand, but but Jesus' mission was for people like you and me. And had God not, God the Father, not forsake, forsaken um, God the Son, as he became sin, as he took our sin, literally took our sin upon himself, that would have cost him the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price. That's you and that's me. And because he loved you so much, when his son asked him if there's any way this cup could pass, he said no. Three times. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally, that's God turning his back on sin. God's so holy, he can't look upon sin, he can't fellowship with sin. So when Jesus was becoming all the filth that, that, that I was, God turned away. But there's something else here, Rod, in this passage. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was quoting a messianic psalm. And his audience, remember, his audience was completely Jewish. And so Jesus was evangelizing them. He was quoting this indisputably messianic psalm. And it was his way of saying, the psalm that you quote about my coming, well, I'm now telling you that I'm he. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he said. Jesus was giving them another chance to share. You know, Rod, something to think about, and this is just the way my silly brain works. We know that 50 days later, 3,000 men, not including their wives and children, 3,000 men got saved. We know the Holy Spirit was at work. Those who watched Jesus die, those who heard the things he said. How often do you think the Holy Spirit would knock on the door of their heart and say that that psalm that you know is messianic, that was him? And that's why Peter, and it's a great, great message that Peter preached, and sadly we give Peter too much credit. But Peter just walked into a table that had already been set by Jesus himself. In Acts chapter 2, Peter culminated his message by saying, and I'm going to paraphrase, you killed God. And in my mind's eye, I always see Peter pointing a finger and shaking it at the people. Not angry, but just letting him know, you killed God. And it was right then that the Holy Spirit put it all together and they cried out. They were, I'm going to use King James here, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, you're right. I killed him. My sin is ever before me. What can I do now? And I think Peter, with a relieved smile on his face, as it was, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. The times of refreshing will come upon you in the fourth chapter. I love that. He had an answer. So, Rod, that's why the father forsook his son. He did it because he loved you and because he loved me. I think i got time for one more before our break. Shelley says, What are your thoughts on Christians marrying unbelievers and sex before marriage? Shelley, I can summarize this really quickly. No and never. Those are my thoughts. That's what the Word of God says. Christians should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It is inconceivable to me. And by the way, this is the probably the most ignored thing that we teach. People ask me all the time, what about this guy or what about this girl? Are they a believer? Well, no, but no, no, no. Don't You can't have anything to do with them. And they just pretend like I didn't say anything at all. They do what they want to do. But I'm telling you, just as I tell them, there's nothing but pain. Nothing but pain for the person who marries 
unequally yoked. Imagine spending your life with someone who wants nothing to do with Jesus, who's supposed to be your whole life. Regarding sex before marriage, never. God is the creator of sex. He gave us the sexual desire. But like everything else, we've got to manage that. We've got to control it. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit so that we can honor God with it. So no and no, Shelley, and stand firm. You'll never be sorry you did. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585. 340-9585. This is the Monday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Let's kick off the uh, second half of the program with Cindy from San Antonio on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You are on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. When when you decided to uh, be in the book of Ephesians, I decided to read the first chapter every morning for the length of time that we're in the first chapter, and then I was going to read the second chapter every morning, you know, for the length of time we're in there. And this morning, when I... Cindy, just, first, just a second. I'm, I'm laughing because you're going to be in chapter one for a very long time. I know, I know. I'm your, I, I love it, though, because we get every bit of nutrition out of the Word. It's like mm. nothing, it's, it's not like fast food. It's like we get this yeah. gourmet meal all the time. So, no, I, I, I know, I remember the last time, I remember a long time ago we were in Ephesians for a really long time. But, <laughs> but that's good. But you know what, I was reading the first verse, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And as soon as I read that, it just thunderstruck me about God's will, how powerful God's will is. And then I was thinking about my will and how flippy, floppy, wimpy (laughs) my will is. So I wondered if you would just kind of talk about man's will, you know, my will, and and, and, um, and how powerful God's will is. So that's... um, I know, I know you can. <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> Thank you, Cindy. God, God bless. You, you know, um, I, I'm, I made it through um, the first four verses. We've had two studies already in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and I'm only going to get, I think, um, uh, through verse 7 or 8 or 12 or something this this week on Friday night. Um, you know, uh, one of the things now, now the the greeting in Ephesians is um, perhaps his most brief greeting, and the reason for that, Cindy, is because um, um, the, the, Paul spent more than three years in Ephesus. They knew him; he knew them, and so it's one of those things. He didn't have to explain it like he did in others, but but what, what he's doing. Is, is he's making an announcement, and this is typical of his greetings. He's saying, um, I'm exercising apostolic authority, but my authority isn't given, I wasn't taken by myself, it was given to me by God. And so he's saying, I'm an apostle, a sent one, a messenger, and my message is from God. And this is the will of God. Now, one of the things that we're going to read in Ephesians, it's also uh, given to us in Colossians, that growing in the knowledge of God's will is one of the, the areas that we're, we're, we're called to grow in. We're, we're told to grow in the knowledge of God and in the knowledge of his will for our lives. And the reason we're told to grow, and by the way, not, we're, we're never told just to grow in knowledge. Knowledge, Paul writes, puffs up. 
But he says to grow in the knowledge of God's will for your life. And every one of us as believers, we ought to be seeking the will of God above all other things. In this, uh, the message I did yesterday, uh, Paul is writing to Timothy that, that God's will for your life was demonstrated by my laying hands on you. Timothy, the will of God is to do these things. And the value of Second Timothy, of course, is it's, la- it's Paul's last correspondence before he is martyred for his faith. His head's chopped off by Caesar Nero. So growing in the will of God is the most important thing that we can do. You know, we read the Old Testament stories, and they have pictures that are very appropriate uh, for New Testament Christians. Um, we talk uh, in the book of Joshua when they're crossing over the, the Jordan River at flood stage. And then they, they cross over and they find themselves in the promised land. Now, we think of the promised land as New Testament Christians, and all too often we think about that promised land as being heaven. I'm going to get to heaven. That's not the promised land. The promised land for every Christian is Romans 12, God's perfect, pleasing, acceptable will. And we, all of us ought to every day strive, not, not in our own strength, but, but in the power of the Spirit, to find and then be in God's will. Now, in order for that to happen, Cindy, we've got to say no to what we want so we can say yes to Him. And you hit the nail on the head when you said His will is so strong, our, our personal will is so wimpy, was your word. And, and you're right, we flip-flop all over the place. We, we are in God's will, but it's hard, so we get out of God's will, and we think things are going to be easier, and it's never easier, because the only place we're intended to live is in the will of God. Let me also say, Cindy, that Romans 8, I said it uh, earlier when Reuben called, uh, Romans 8 is the will of God for every Christian. That's, that's the chapter, Life in the Spirit. And God wants every one of us to live in the will. Now, when we think about the will of God, it's it's more a, a function or a position, um, and that's just simply not the case. The will of God is to be in Romans chapter 8 and live there every day because that's where you can hear the voice of God. That's where you can be empowered by the Spirit of God. And so our desire is to live every day in that chapter that promises we are more than conquerors through him who loved us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and on and on and on. And that's God's will for all of us. And there's nothing in the world like knowing you're in God's will. Now, I don't do God's will perfectly every day, for sure. But every day I get up, Cindy, I know beyond any doubt that I'm in the will of God. And so I don't have to question things. I don't have to wonder, well, should I do this or should I do that? I know that I'm in the will of God. I'm doing exactly what I was born to do. I'm doing it where he wanted me to do it, and I'm doing it with the greatest partner in the world standing shoulder to shoulder with me uh, in in this lifelong ministry. And, And Paul and I, we have the opportunity every day to say, thank you, God, for your perfect will. Great question, Cindy. Thank you. Let's go to Dorian from San Antonio on line one. Dorian, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, I, guess I, got a two, yeah, I guess I got a two-part question. Um, Christian, what's the difference between Christianity and Seventh-day Adventist? And is there a mm-hmm. difference? And then the other thing is, the second part of this is, um, my my cousin, she's a, she's a Seventh-day Adventist, and mm-hmm. we have a disagreement as far as where the believers go when they die. Um, what I've told her is, absent from the body, present from the Lord. And mm-hmm. then also to look at Luke chapter 16, um, the rich man of Lazarus, as soon as we die, yeah. that we either wake up in heaven or hell. So um, um, I'll hang up and uh, listen to your, uh, to your answers. Thank you, Dorian. Good question. Um, you know, some Seventh-day Adventists are Christians. Now, there's, there's different branches of Adventism. Um, one is very cultish and aberrant in its theology. Now, both are aberrant in their theology doctrinally, but 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 one so aberrant that 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 it'd be hard to say they're in the family of God. Um, Seventh Day Adventists tend to be exceptionally legalistic. They have a view of, of course, Sabbath day worship as being Saturday, um, um, ignoring the teaching of the New Testament. 
Um, but um, that's just one section of Adventism. The other Seventh-day Adventists, while they're still legalistic and they still have really bad doctrine, um, they're, they're men and women who are really saved. They love Jesus. They're just misled and they're, um, they're, they're on the wrong path. So, Dorian, uh, some are Christians, some are not, and without talking to them, it's impossible. I can tell you this. When you find somebody who's been delivered out of Seventh-day Adventism, they are usually the most militant of all because they realize how they've been uh, ripped off. Now, one of the really terrible doctrinal errors, uh, apart from Saturday worship or Sabbath worship, one of the real doctrinal areas that Seventh-day Adventists have is this doctrine of soul sleep. Um, Seventh-day Adventists, you don't go to be with Jesus. You go to sleep, and eventually we're going to be reunited with Jesus. But that's not at all what the Bible teaches. You, you had it, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord, and that is a clear statement. Paul said to the Philippians, it's better to depart and be what be with Jesus by far, he said. That wouldn't be the case if he just went to sleep. So we know uh, that we go into the presence of the Lord. Um, you're, you're also correct about Luke chapter 16. That's not a parable. That's a story. Parables never use names for the characters in them. And um, um, that was an accurate portrayal of where people went when they died before Jesus died and, and was resurrected from the dead. Um, now, of course... Um, when we die instantly, uh, this body gives out. We don't really die. The real person in us, the spirit person in us, we immediately go into the presence of the Lord. We have our new physical resurrected bodies, and we stand before the Lord. Um, um, the, the compartments in Luke 16, one of them is still full. That's the, the compartment where the rich man is being tormented. The other compartment called paradise, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Um, that compartment is now empty. Why? Because Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth and he led captivity captive. What he did was he took them with him in his presence. So, um, um, usually Seventh-day Adventists have been taught um, so poorly. And, and you know, you've spent a lot of time someplace. You're invested in it. You don't want to believe it's not true. So pray for her. I think you said it's a, your cousin you referred to her as a female. Uh, pray for her. Um, show her the passage in Scripture and just leave her alone. But, but pray, pray, pray. Because the one thing that you want to do is to um, uh, give her the opportunity to be free from the bondage of legalism. Um, important things. Um, there's a, a pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, Calvary, I think it's called Calvary Community Church, but if you'll just Google Mark Martin, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, during he has a whole lot of stuff on, on Seventh-day Adventist, Adventism uh, because he was a Seventh-day Adventist and was delivered from it. Thank you for the call. We got Roland from San Marcos back. Roland, thanks for hanging in there and calling back. You are on the air. I appreciate you so much. I have a question. I've been, uh, I'm like you, I'm, I'm, well, you're going there like me. I'm legally blind, and uh, the only thing I listen to oh. is my Bible on the CDs. So I just mm-hmm. grab one CD at a time. What I need to know is, what is the difference between the, your, your spirit and your soul? Yeah, Roland, I think they're interchangeable. You know, uh, now soul is often used to describe um, sort of the things that we lust after are soulish desires, but that's not um, the same as, as, as distinguishing spirit and soul. Uh, you know, if I want something to feed my flesh, that would be soulish activity. But the spirit and the soul is really the same thing. The soul that sins will die. Uh, we're also told that our spirits will go uh, to be in the presence of the Lord. So I think those two terms in the context that you're speaking of, uh, is inter- they're, they're interchangeable. They mean pretty much the same thing. And so um, um, just understand that, that, that the spirit man in you, 
That's the real you. Not contained in this flesh and blood body that you have. But the real you is this beautiful thing. Paul says that, that, that we're, we're sown corruptible, we're, we're resurrected incorruptible. We'll have a brilliance about us. That's the real you. When that sin nature is removed, your spirit will immediately leave this old body and go to be in the presence of the Lord. So the people that try to make a distinction between spirit and soul, uh, they're, they're really missing the, the point because in the New Testament, they're all um, the same thing in terms of the way and the context that they're used. Roland, I did not know that you were legally blind. Um, for people like you and me who who struggle with something that everybody else takes for granted, um, boy, we really long for those resurrected bodies, don't we? I mean, my goodness, um, I can't wait until I can see perfectly, and I can't wait until I don't struggle with my flesh anymore. And I think for people like you and, and, and for me, Roland, um, it's just a gift that God has given us, not that I like not being able to see, but it reminds us of the weakness, the, um, the, the, the incompleteness of these earthly bodies. I had an episode today where my eyes were absolutely going crazy. It never happened to me before. And I, they just wouldn't stop. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And it went away after uh, you know 30 seconds or so. But all I could think about was, oh, Lord, please come quickly. <laughs> So, Roland, you pray for me, and I'll be praying for you, and and uh, I, I pray that the Lord gets you through. And and I don't know if this will help you or not. You know, I know people are praying for me constantly, and I appreciate it. The Lord has kind of given me one of the, the answers he gave to the Apostle Paul about my vision. My grace is sufficient for you, and it surely has been. Uh, we have a young man in our church. He sometimes calls the radio program. His name is Daniel, and he has had, uh, uh, his eyes were worse than mine. Uh, and and uh, he's had a miraculous recovery of his sight. So sometimes God fixes things, sometimes he doesn't, and uh, I, I just, I think it just makes us long more for heaven. Thank you, Roland, for calling back. Let's go to Ray on line two. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Glad to hear you're doing well. Um, Thank you. Did I understand or misunderstand? I'm confused, which is not surprising. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, this evening, DP3 is standing in for uh, Pastor Ken, but I think the ladies are also uh, doing, and I'm confused. Are they both going to be uh, uh, available uh, to those of us that can't make it in, or just the ladies, or what? Yeah, you know, Ray, I'm, I don't really know the answer. I know that they have been live streaming Pastor Ken's men's studies as well, um, and and I, I assume that that's going to be the case. You know, everybody gets together and worships, but then they separate. And so I think you have an option to go to men's study or to the women's study, but um, um, uh, nobody's told me any differently, so I'm assuming that both will be available online at calvarysa.com. Great. Thank you, sir. Okay, Ray, thank you. Pray for Pastor Ken. Uh, He sometimes fills in for me in the program. He's um, on his last week of vacation, and I miss him a bunch. And so uh, he's right. When when uh, Ray mentioned DP3, that's what we call uh, Dr. Peter. He's Dr. Pastor Peter Paley. So it's DP3. That's how we can remember what to call him. So that will be at 7 o'clock as well. And Peter, I almost said he was funny, but he's not funny. He tells the worst jokes in the history of the world. But he is a great Bible teacher, and boy, I love his heart. Let's go to a question Natalie sent in. She said, Pastor Ron, do we have to forgive everyone or only if they repent? Natalie, the answer to the question is yes um, for both of those things. But here's the idea. And I think sometimes we we have a tendency when somebody's not repentant of their sin, we think, well, I don't want to get away with it. No, we have to be willing to forgive. We can't be burdened by unforgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Forgiveness is a gift that has to be received. Now, in order for forgiveness to be received, it has to be 
asked for. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but only those who say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, are forgiven by God. It's a symbol. We, we believe by faith, and God's grace is poured out to us. Now, in your life, if there's somebody who has sinned against you, and they are unrepentant, you can offer them forgiveness. But for your offer to be actualized, then they have to receive it. And to receive it, they've got to own their sin. So here's what you do. You just let people know that I'm praying for you and I'm willing to forgive you. But you've got to acknowledge that what you did was wrong. It's not withholding forgiveness. It just is allowing you to go forward without holding on to the burden of unforgiveness. But repentance is the first word of the gospel. Nobody is forgiven unless they repent and believe. And in our personal relationships, that's our model that Jesus has given us. In order to be forgiven, we have to ask for it and receive it. Otherwise, it is just an empty offer. Imagine how many people are going to bow before the Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And how many of them are going to be unable to benefit from the forgiveness that Jesus already paid for. So be willing to forgive everyone. Don't hold grudges. Don't get angry if they don't repent. Just every time you start to get angry, pray for them. And one of the supernatural things that happened, Natalie, in my life is I've learned that the more I pray for people, I actually am aware of my heart changing toward those people. And there's nothing quite as freeing as getting to that point where somebody's really, really hurt you. And you can bring them before the Lord and you realize that, hey, I really want them in heaven. I'm no longer holding on to that hatred, that anger. Well, that's what the value of forgiveness is. If you're unwilling to forgive, that's a real problem. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others, then you're not forgiven by God. And, and uh, you know, you, you can't soften that. That's just pretty clear. So uh, thank you for that. Here is a question from Wayne. He says, what is the role of the church? I'm sorry, what is the role of church membership and just attending church? Now, Wayne, I assume that you left out a word. What is the difference between um, church membership and just attending church? Um, um, you know, churches, we, we don't at Calvary Chapel, but most churches have uh, an official membership. Um, you know, we'll tell you about the church, uh, answer your questions about the church, catechize you. And in fact, in many traditions about what's expected as a member of the church, you'll commit to, to giving a certain percentage of your income, which I think is a horrible practice. Um, but you, you submit often, often to church discipline procedures. Uh, th- that's what being a member is. Um, just attending church, you actually can get the same benefit from church. Um, but it depends on you. It depends on, on the role that you take. Wayne, uh, I'm stumbling a little bit with this because we don't have membership, official membership here. I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. I understand where churches are coming from. Uh, I understand the importance of the body being together. But pretty much here at Calvary Chapel, we, we see somebody a second or third time, we just automatically assume they're members. Uh, but we don't ask them to sign anything or make any commitments to anything. And um, when they come in and they see the church being the church, it's really, really attractive. And so uh, if you are at a church where they are pushing membership and you're content just attending church, it's okay for you to make that distinction. The one thing that you can do is just go to church and leave church. I mean, you got to be the church. And a lot of times in a lot of different churches and or denominations, um, in order to serve in the church, you've got to be a member. So it's one of those things that you really need to pray about and get the heart of God on it. I, I think attending church is fine, but you need to be the church. You know, a lot of churches have multiple services. We have three services typically uh, when we're in a non-quarantine situation. 
And, um, you know, our people will attend church for a service. They'll serve in a, uh, in the church for the next service and, and often serve in the third service. Um, it gives them an opportunity not only to, to, to be equipped and to learn, but it gives them a wonderful opportunity uh, to use the gifts that God has given them to be a blessing to others. So I hope, Wayne, that's what you meant. If it's not, I didn't understand uh, the question so well. So um, just sort of uh, write back and we'll try to figure it out. I'm trying to find a quick question because we're inside. Oops, we've got just one minute. David says, we were chosen before the beginning of time. How can we have free will? Well, that's not a one-minute question, David. I'm sorry. So uh, I think that's probably all I'm going to be able to get. I'll answer that question, David's question, uh, tomorrow. Hey, for a quick recap, remember tonight, ladies, Melissa Finley will be sharing her heart on our Sweet Summer Devotion series here at 7 o'clock. Dr. Peter Paley will be, Dr. Pastor Peter Paley will be teaching uh, the men's study at 7 o'clock. And we invite you to come and be blessed. Hey, I hope you had a great day in church yesterday. For those of you who are not yet in church, please, please pray. Please pray. Let the Lord use you to be a source of comfort for others. Hey, may God bless you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.